0: Matches, you recently rebranded as matchesfashion.com. You've got an amazing investment in Matches IT infrastructure. You're putting so much of the emphasis on e retail. Tell me about sort of how the landscape of retail is changing. Huge questions to begin with. Okay, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Well, you know, I suppose the reality is that a large part of our business is online. You know, you mentioned 75% of our business is online now. And really the the journey was for us to uh, uniform the platform. So we have a bricks and mortar business, that's where our history is, it's where Mm. our DNA is. And it was about uniforming that platform with our digital platform. And it's really for us, it's about how we can make the physical experience more digital and how we can make the digital experience more physical. So how we can uniform that all around one thing, which is about the customer choice, um, how the customer wants to interact with us, how they want to have a conversation with us, um, and how how they want to see the product. And I think when Tom talks about the customer, we're talking about the customer as someone who
2: engages with us, then not necessarily a shopper. We have lots of, for example, in the physical space, we have lots of lots of fashion students who come in and touch and feel, and we it's want fashion students to be able to come onto the site and actually gain the same kind of experience. Um, so. Those two, those two platforms are just how we're talking to our customer in, in general, and that customer is a very broad demographic of people and not always a shopper.
0: How did you keep sort of your understanding of your customer? Because you must have been so used to the kind of the shoppers walking into the London store, and now it's, you ship, is it like 190 countries? Is it really hard to kind of know that customer when it's so diverse?
2: I think it's easier than ever to know the customer, I mean, when we started we were definitely obviously bricks and mortar retailers but our customer was always super international so they were travelling a lot Sure. and we'd have people who were coming in very loyal but came to us when they were over from Australia or from the US or wherever they lived. So we always had that connection to the customer so now being able to talk to them when they're at home gives us access around the clock and there's so much information you can get from even from Instagram there's so much yeah. information you can you can retrieve from your customer and there's so many platforms that you can talk to them on that the information you can get is is key i mean tom um, talks about a lot about personalization and that's about creating digitally the same intimacy that you have in store and when you do that your customer will h- hopefully in our case, we feel that's true. Trust us.
1: We have to keep the DNA of what we are as a business um, and keep that very strong message globally mm. without being over-influenced by the buys. So I think that's probably one of the interesting challenges we have. And how,
2: how do you do that? I think the taste level is key. But, I mean, the information that we can get, for example, around people's sizing in different geographic territories is super interesting. Mm. Um, but when, I mean, to your question, when we... Um, Try and stay in touch with the whole audience. We still have to behave in a really intuitive way. However much Information we have to hand the intuition is key for the buying team. I mean what they see on market And actually we 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 talk a lot to journalists when we're out about their take on things that won't necessarily Influence our buy, but it's interesting to get as many um, As many opinions as we can. It's a very collaborative I think buying is a very collaborative piece of work and you're also appealing to an aspirational customer who's just coming up who might not necessarily be able to afford luxury um, and so we need to we need to include them in all our decision making but also very much focus on the customer who is who is the luxury customer who's yeah. out there with disposable income to spend on those pieces because that's the dream but the dream is there but there's also this huge demographic of, of people who are working towards that dream and those
0: are also our customers it's interesting one of the frustrations that I have with journalism and fashions I feel like there are a lot of these kind of um perhaps cliches perhaps not about about different audiences and different territories and it's so interesting to hear you talk about the complexity yeah, of kind the of complexity. exactly yeah. because I think there's such, these tired ideas of a kind of you know logo mad slightly sort of uninformed Asian shopper and then a really savvy London shopper. It's also interesting when
2: you're looking at, for example, that Chinese customer to think about their history and how they arrived at fashion and how new they are to it in Mm. many ways. So also, and how fast they've learned about it. So they're almost, they they want to be right where it's at and they've Caught up on that educational curve, they've got it, and then they've decided that they're going in their own direction. They've been able to form their own opinions really quickly.
1: 15 years ago, a brand would have to wait for it to be picked up by a department store. They'd have to wait six months for that department store to show the product. Often the department store would turn around and say, Oh, it's not quite new, and you know, it's a little, we need to see how you'll develop. So it's really challenging for a brand to become successful in a very short period of time or to be Mm. noticed. And now with social media, with digital, with, I mean, things like Instagram, there's an immediacy behind it. You know, yeah. there's an immediacy of, of, of noise in a market.
0: I imagine when you started buying, a lot of the focus was purely on the product. If the designer had made something great and you thought it would sell, you would buy it. Now when you're thinking about a new label or even doing your buy with your existing, your existing designers that you work with, do you ever think about... Okay, they've got a great digital reach, or they're really good at selling themselves, so we'll buy from them because of that. Is it more than the product now? No, I think it, it, it can be, but mm. the product have to, has to come first. The yeah. brand it starts with
1: the product, yeah, doesn't it? it, it, and it if the product isn't product. good, the product isn't good.
0: And are they smarter than ever? Tommy, you keep mentioning this kind yeah. of this huge yeah. amount of information, which, and I think that has just changed the way people shop. You know, yeah. they, they expect to know everything about the brands yeah. they yeah. buy now. Is it even kind of more of a challenge to seduce a shopper now because they know everything. I
1: think it's so exciting. I think the information is kind of a question about trying to manage the level of information to make mm. keep to a, a really strong view about what you're trying to achieve and, and not be over influenced by the level of information. Sometimes mm. there's too much. I mean, that is a big thing that these days, if you compare it to what it was like being a retailer 15 years ago or 10 yeah. years ago, is the amount of information and how yeah. connected we have to become as a business, yeah. you know, we're not a buyer. Um, buying department and a marketing department anymore. We're a buying, an e-commerce, editorial department. Mm -hmm. Everyone has to be so connected, not just um, on a a seasonal basis, but on a daily and even an hourly Mm -hmm. basis Mm -hmm. about what's happening in a market. Mm -hmm. And you know, that that puts huge, I mean, I see these poor buying teams, you know, that go out to market, I mean, they're out there now, they'll be out there for another two or three weeks, they come back, I'm constantly sending them emails on a daily basis saying, what's happening here? How How do we do this one?
0: Is it ever harder to enjoy it? Because you kind of don't have time to stop, I guess, and
1: just think. I think you have to have a certain personality to do it. Um, You know, I I kind of love the noise. I mean, sometimes I kind of feel like, God, you know, just put me into dark room for 10 minutes so I can switch off, but, um, you you know. You
2: need a certain amount of stamina for it, I think. Mm. And mental stand-up stamina as well is really important to yeah. keep up. But you have to be you have to have that kind of personality where you constantly crave newness and you constantly want
0: to be challenged and you have to be incredibly mentally agile, I think, to work in the fashion industry. We talked about the present but I wanna talk about you as characters and as people. Tell me about when you were younger was fashion, retail, something you aspired to do? I read, I obviously know about your background, oh God, but I'm interested. What, have you read? <laughs> what, what were you like growing up? What were your ambitions? What were you interested in as kind of young people?
1: I think for me, my, my ambition was actually to be, God, this sounds, this sounds a little bit control free, uh, to, to be a creature of my own destiny. You know, that's really yeah. what I always wanted to do. You know, and I, I don't think for me there was a specific Thing that I wanted to do but it was more about making decisions and knowing that some of those decisions would be bad ones but actually they were my decisions and you know I yeah. was responsible for them so you know, when I was younger I went to New York quite a lot in my late teens um, and I think that that was an incredibly inspiring time you know it was sort of what 30 God, 30 years ago, um, 30 odd years ago. And it, you know, it was an incredible amount of energy there. Very different from London, you know, at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge difference. And I think, you know, it was um, very inspiring to see that that level of energy, that passion, the enthusiasm, the excitement. You know, interesting retailers. Shalivari was, um, so how, how you say it, Shalivari? Chari- yeah, how do you say it? <laughs> yeah, uh, amazing, store amazing in store New in New York that used to exist. And
2: I just had very glamorous mother, very glamorous. Um, stepmother who were really loved clothes almost to the extent that I think actually looking back it was quite literal what they wore in the 70s it you know I think back and they were like caricatures of that <laughs> of that era um, but i I loved clothes and I love fashion and when I look back I loved it more than I realized at the time because I was very I know I customized my uniform I must have looked like a complete freak but I thought I looked great um and I always would I mean I'd cycled to school in great big platform wedges and I was very naughty and rebellious and loved all the things that at that time that were really for me um Debbie Harry and Mark Bolan and all those things were influences on how I dressed and how I wore and how much eyeliner I used and how I flicked my hair. All those things were just always influencing me and they were actually way too important to me Mm. for a girl who should have been studying and paying more attention. Um, (laughs) And then that really ended up with me just being um, looking at Vogue, continually um, saving up to buy things from Betty Jackson from Quorum at age 15 and just, you know, really literally just it's scrounging, cool. yeah. mm. scrounging <laughs> and, and just making sure I had those things because they were so important to me but I didn't think that it would form a career of any sort at all which it, it, it just did. I mean, it's really interesting
0: because yeah. there's two very different sides there one yeah. is the kind of the pragmatism and this interest in the shopper and the consumer and the pace yeah. of retail and the other is the fantasy and the enjoyment of clothes and the yeah. kind of romance of it all
1: but that's probably how we sort of, yeah, yeah. We kind of, to a certain extent, it's kind of how we manage our, our working lives today. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of around those sort of channels, you know, obviously Ruth is you know totally focused on the product, um, yeah. the consumer engagement with it, the brands that we work with. You know, I'm more focused on the, the sort of the marketing, the customer side, et cetera. So they're kind of, you know, it's how we sort of divided our time because those yeah. are really the passions that we both yeah. Having. maybe it's
0: the skills rather than the responsibilities that like you both have yeah. different things. To the I schedule. mean it's not
1: it's not really responsibilities anymore. You know I think that you know you have to relinquish as much control as you possibly can as a business mm. grows. Your your challenges become very different. You know gone are the days of 25 years ago where we were opening boxes and selling the product. We can't do that now. As much mm. as I like m- might love to sell, I can't do that. So, you know, we mm. have to we have to surround ourselves with brilliant, incredibly capable people, far brighter and far more capable than we are in lots of areas. And you know, we're just sort of sitting there and and being the sort of reason behind everything. So not making those decisions, but involved in those decisions, being the sort of the sounding block for it. And equally as, as much as we are for them, we are for each other as well, if yeah, that makes sense.
0: It's interesting because you keep referring to yourself, and I've read it in, in past interviews, this is you Tom, you've said, and you've said it several times here, you said that you're a bit of a control freak, but then you also kind of talked about that period where What's you did control? realise you have to relinquish mm. control. And tell me, just kind of, from a, a narrative perspective, when you realised that you needed to do that, when the business got to a point where you thought, hang on, I'm well, going to need to I think you
1: realise things. it all the time, Lou. You know, I think that, you know, the reality is that as your business grows, That you have to release control and you know that can go back to the day that suddenly I stopped spending you know every weekend in the store or the day that I would stop you know you know we've done that throughout our throughout our our history Um, I think you know probably last year we had to relinquish so much control because, yeah. you know, the reality was, you know, we grew by 130% last year. Um, you know, it's quite a meteoric yeah. growth, not yeah. a small base. We recruited nearly 200 people in a year. Yeah. You know, that's that in itself is a challenging thing to, to, to immerse those people into the, yeah. into the business and understand it. So I think that probably, the last two years, we've had to relinquish an awful lot, and you know, I'm actually very grateful because we've brought in incredible people um, who have really been taken on that mantle incredibly well, haven't they? Yeah. Um,
2: I, I think one thing that Tom's always been very good at, and I, yes, I think he is a control freak. But I'll come to that in a minute. <laughs> but um, one thing he's always been very good at is working with, and and. Um, collaborating with really talented people and, sure. and hiring them as well, and I think that's a great strength of his. And giving and empowering them—that's the key. Mm-hmm. Letting them do their job, um, but he has—and here's the control freak part—this uncanny instinct to. You, he can for example, he can walk in a store and he can find the one piece that has the wrong price. He can look at a set of figures and he can that people have been working on for days and he can find it's the a one slight exaggeration, floor. <laughs> <laughs> he does this people. Nice, They like the flash uh, then <laughs> And then <laughs> you know he can look at the e-commerce figures mm-hmm. straight away and he can find the the, it's uncanny
1: thank you yeah it's, it's not, the, not, not entirely that. true because, because no, everybody know. talks about it at work it's mm-hmm.
2: like oh god he's gonna you know it takes him like two minutes and he'll just find it it's it's, yeah. it's like a kind of
0: radar that you have for that is it quite emotionally challenging when it's something as you said that you were kind of once unpacking boxes god, yourself you
1: know no I think that I love it I mean I think it's fantastic when we have I, there was one point I look back a number of years ago where we had a number of people who worked for us who went off and they all became the buyers of big department stores mm. and you know you yeah. always sorry to lose people. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's quite a proud moment when you think actually yeah. every department store in London is being bought by people that we work with and we nurture yeah. from the start of their career. It's quite that's amazing.
2: True. I'm way too emotional about everything and I need to learn to be less emotionally involved in mm. everything because it just, I don't know why, but I just am. Mm. That's, I have to learn to be, to, I'm, I try all the time to be less but it matters so mm. much to
0: me. So. Do you feel like a real sense of responsibility when you're working with a designer and you're aware that your feedback, probably more than a fashion critics, feedback is going to impact how they work and how they design. Yeah.
1: I think it's it's like everything there's so much noise around a designer if there's too many opinions. Yes. How do they actually form what they yeah. really stay true to what they should yeah, do? Yeah. And I think that that's one of the challenges they face. They can't listen to, you know, the American department store to ask yes. to this. I mean, how many people can you listen to? Yeah. So I think that, you know, I, I can understand that that must be challenging I for them. I think any feedback but, you give
2: mm-hmm. any feedback you give designers at whatever stage has to come way after their research stage, way after their creativity stage, and then then it can only be things around the pricing structure or the category or what what your customer needs. Does your customer need skirts for £300 that are shaped like this? That's the kind of feedback we'll give them, not Mm -hmm. you need to redesign your collection.
0: Do you think you'll always keep the physical shops? Uh,
1: No doubt, in my mind. I think that, you know... um, the, the physical is in our DNA. It's, it's how we started a business. And I think it's a really important part. I think the format will change dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that we present the yeah. physical presence will be very, very different in a year or two's time to what it is now. Um, and it will, um, you know, but it, it's still part of our journey. It's very, very important to us.